I really enjoy this quiet stuff. And I've had to actually do things to kind of get myself up and out into people because I could see myself really enjoying this quiet, singular, tiny life. During the pandemic, I turned 30 and my schedule changed a lot. Back in 2019, I was going out to eat all the time and staying out all night with my friends. And now I mostly leave my apartment to go grocery shopping, which is great in its own way. And it made me realize how much of my schedule, you know, both before the pandemic and now, is shaped by spending money. I'm Lauren Barry, and this is It's Generational. This week, we're talking about money. We've brought together a great new panel of guests that includes improv comedian and teacher Susan Messing, a young baby boomer, Gen X news anchor Steve Giotakis, millennial multimedia producer Mallory Samara, and Gloria Oladipo, a Gen Z reporter and playwright. I think a good way to gauge how people feel about money is to ask them if they ever feel like guilty or embarrassed about anything they buy. Uh, for example, I buy an embarrassing amount of Coke Zero every week, like six cases, and I'm usually the only person at my Walgreens who even needs a card for that. So I asked our panelists if they ever feel guilty or embarrassed about buying anything. I am. I'm a little upset that I spend money on my hair. My husband died uh, two years ago, but while he was sick, I did very little. We'd never went anywhere. We didn't go out for meals or anything like that for over two years because he had a glioblastoma in his spinal cord. And the one thing that I would do for myself like my grandma Jean is go over to the haircuttery right down the street on Lincoln Avenue here in Chicago and get my hair. Like every two weeks I would get my roots dyed because my hair grows so fast and I'm completely gray. And then once a week, occasionally I would go there simply to get my hair blown out like my grandma Jean. I mean, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, well, can you figure out how to dye your hair by yourself? And I'm like, you could. And, and, and I tried to figure out how to blow dry my hair myself. I'm absolutely stupid at it. <laughs> and, and because I don't really do anything else for myself, my friend Courtney, once the hair cutter closed and the pandemic hit, she would still come over to my house every two weeks to dye my roots. And Courtney's, she's become a very good friend. It doesn't cost a shitload but it makes me feel bad because I know there are ways that if I had to look through, you know, what do you get rid of when, when, you know, when you need to like start tightening the belt, right? Mm -hmm. That would be hair. So I feel very mm -hmm. guilty about doing the hair thing. I, I have that's, to admit mm -hmm. very that's guilty. funny. You mentioned that because when my, my dad had, uh, he had stage four colon cancer so about sorry. nine. Thank you. Um, about nine years ago. And I went and dyed my whole head purple and I think mm -hmm. it was like this big distraction from what was happening in my life. And it was really expensive because, you know, I went to someone who did the process right and made sure that like, you know, as soon as I bleached it, it wouldn't dry up and, you know, all of that. And so it was kind of expensive, but it was my way of just distracting myself. And ever since then, I tend to go to salons or I, I go to the same hair person and I do spend that money on my hair. It's like really important to me and has been really important since then. So I think hair can you know. change a person. It really can change mm -hmm. a person. Yes. Yeah. Good, bad, ugly. I mean, I love people who don't have ego about their hair. I love people who just get up and get out. I tend to have like really fuzzy, um, 
my hair is is it's just a lot of fine hair that does sort of does nothing it doesn't make a statement it's not interesting there's nothing about it that's good unless i feel like you know somebody's kind of done something i have to say though it is the hair cuttery i don't really like the salon experience she literally just comes to my head dumps it in my hair and i go to my own shower you know and but then she blows it out and i'm like you can do something i can't do i have a great amount of respect for someone who can make someone look better you know, and I guess I'm willing to pay for it right now. Yeah, but that's uh, you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. Right. I mean, it's a lot of money good. in the long run. I oh, do want to look good. I do. By the way, says the guy who is losing hair, <laughs> who, you know, I mean, one of the one of the things I would like to maybe treat myself is to stop myself from losing hair. But, you know, at age 52, I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I guess I could subscribe to one of these whatever clubs or hymns or whatever it is that's out there. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be embarrassed about that. I mean, I, I, for me, it's like, I'm embarrassed by, you know, all the Christmas decorations I buy, you know, and it's like, how many, yeah. How many things can you put up during the year in a, a thousand square foot apartment? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of silly. So I, I make myself feel bad. And by the way, it's all still up um, even right now. I love it. Is- I appreciate that. It's embarrassing, though, right? It's embarrassing. Is it? Is it embarrassing? I think that there should be a buy till the end of January that you can keep all that shit up. And if you keep it up all year and it staves off depression, God bless and Godspeed, right? It does feel better. It does feel better. What what happens, though, Susan, is when you you keep it up and you have the joy inside and you have the lights on and all that. And then at at some point you realize everybody else has moved on and you haven't. And it makes you depressed. So there's you know what I'm saying? Does that make any really sense? Gloria, does that make any sense? You just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, we're just getting we're just getting really meta with the Christian decorations. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't find decorations embarrassing. I don't have any because I like I live in an apartment and by live I mean I live in a room and I just feel like a little Christmas tree is like a bit depressing. I also feel like spending money on hair, like that to me, I feel like that's just part of like like that's that's not embarrassing. Like I, I, I empathize with why it could be embarrassing, but I don't find it I find that like to be an important part of like upkeep and self care and just you know. Oh God, I love you loving for saying oneself. that. <laughs> You're assuaging my guilt already. Yeah. Yes. But by the yeah, way, you, you all have, have beautiful hair, so I have to tell. You. Oh my God, yeah. Steve. Seriously, it's, it. it's true. You. Oh, thank you, Steve. Uh, I think for me though, like I feel guilty for anything that I could, anything that like is a convenience I don't think is necessary. So I feel guilty most for Ubers. I feel like. A lot of my disposable income goes toward not too much of it. I think I've, or because I've heard some very crazy amounts, but like if I'm running late to something that I could either like walk to or take a train or bus to, like, you know, and I feel guilty just for like stupid things at the grocery store. Like there are these little, um, what's it called? These like little, I call, okay, these little, those probiotic soda things. Oh, I love them. You know what? Kombucha. Kombucha. No, not the kombucha. It's called like poppy, like their poppy or like olipop or yeah. etc. Yeah, those are yeah. delicious. Um, My boyfriend's but, roommate has like a whole box here too. Oh, yeah. do I see an olipop? In the, yes, <laughs> it, they are delicious. Olipop slash poppy. If you hear this, please hit me up. Endorsement. Um, <laughs> but I just think they're they are a bit pricey compared to just like drinking tap water or. A McDonald's coffee, and um, so that's what I feel guilty for. But I think the care, any anything that has to do with just like being your best self, I'm like, don't. I don't I think that to me is like not a guilty thing. See, I'm gonna pass it back to you and say, 
I would I appreciate the fact that you check the clock, that you're respectful of people's time and that you realize that if you haven't been able to add, you know, have enough of those um, time constraints, you know, built in your day that you go, you know what, I'm going to have to take a Lyft or an Uber to get there on time. I appreciate that. I do. I do. I mean, I'm a little more OCD about like time and stuff, but I think time gets away from people. And and I appreciate that you thought that people's time was so important that you were willing to invest in that. So I'm, and and as far as a delicious (laughs) drinking treat, I think that everybody should have maybe one little luxury. Your one luxury is still, you know, a lot less than two weeks of my hair. You know, I should have grown my hair Mm. out during the pandemic. Should we be feeling guilty about these little splurges? I asked David and John, who are known as the debt-free guys on social media and offer financial tips on their podcast, Queer Money. I have a saying that I share from time to time. If we can't afford the big things in life, we must enjoy the small things. But if we enjoy the small things too much, we will never be able to afford the big things. And I think that that really kind of speaks to what is it that you find enjoyment in life that you can consume, whether that's an experience or a product, if you can get some real enjoyment, right? I mean, most of us don't look back at the coffee that we had two or three weeks ago and say to ourselves, wow, that that just made me feel really good. Now, there may be instances in our life where that coffee made us feel really good, but it's not, I'm not, I don't want to pick on coffee because I know oftentimes the latte factor, everybody could play, you know, coffee, but I think it's the same. It's the example. I mean, it's true. All of us splurge on something. A lot of my favorites are food related, but like Mallory and Susan, I also love a trip to the salon. Although manicures are my weakness. For us, it's a that's a nice glass of wine, right? So we, maybe we drop $20 on, on this particular bottle or $25 on this particular bottle. We're not doing that every single day and we're not having three or four glasses of wine every single day, but that's something that we find enjoyment in that can help us feel that way through on a regular basis. Because if we don't enjoy life, <laughs> why bother, right? I think there's nothing wrong with your drink. <laughs> I wanted to kind of go back to just real quick to the Uber thing, because, um, you know, I'm growing up in the Bay Area. A lot of us drove, uh, especially in Vallejo, nor- like North Bay, like BART didn't come to us. And so I drove a lot growing up. Car culture is really big here. And then when I moved to Chicago, when I lived in Chicago for grad school, I ended up, you know, I wasn't paying for a car. I didn't have insurance. I didn't have to pay for gas, but I paid for a lot of Ubers too. And Mm. I think a lot of that, it was usually like, if it was dark out, if not a lot of people were walking around, if it was like past nine o'clock or 10 o'clock and I was coming from the loop and going all the way to Logan Square, like I didn't want to hop on the blue line by myself. I don't blame Um, you. Yeah. So I think it's like also kind of sometimes a safety thing. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. of course, like being a a, a millennial who grew up, you know, my mom would put on Dateline on Friday nights and I hear these like horror stories about, you know, women getting kidnapped and like swindled and all of these things. It's like, well, I can't get swindled in an Uber, which actually is untrue now. So, yeah, um, I was going to say that that's its own Dateline subject. 
yeah. for a couple of months. I, I, I wonder, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're talking because you're talking about Uber and the fact that so many people do that today. And I and I wonder as a Gen Xer, somebody who grew up, you know, where it was like you were you were biding your time as a teenager until you turned 16 and were able to get a driver's license. And that yeah. was a big deal to be able to go out and get a driver's license and then to be able to drive on your own. You drove mom or dad's car. You drove, you know, whatever you you saved up. And I had to work at a seafood place to save up enough money to buy my own car. And it was like now that I mean, it's like completely on its head, that whole idea of. I want to drive and have this independence. Now, I think that's different in LA and New York and bigger cities where traffic is just horrible or whatever, but it just seems like everybody takes these these uh, ride hailing apps. My daughter does yeah, not want you know. to drive. My daughter does not, oh, she, I was like, you fool. How old's your, how old's your daughter? She's going to be 20 on the 20th and she literally does not, like, she knows now that she has to do it. And so she's kind of stealing herself for it. But she was wildly independent here in Chicago with public transportation. Yeah. She's going to school in New York City and public transport is what you do. And she's gotten super good at it. And I keep telling her this is freedom. I can't even explain how the open road will beckon to you at one point. I mean, I can reframe my entire life in 12 to 16 hours back to the East Coast, right. you know, like child get your shit together it's great stuff you know i, know, I feel to. for your i feel for your daughter so much though because there's also a lot of chicago in this chat right now i'm also from chicago yay um yeah i'm from I know gary huh. you're, you're near the metro well, welcome, area yeah welcome, welcome midwest chicago land uh yeah. land yeah and i didn't get my license until i think i was like 21 22 um literally because I just would use the train all the time the or I wasn't, yeah, I was using the L like I went to school. I went to school where I didn't really like need a car. I had friends with cars. So I was like basically very privileged, um, you know, backseat driver. Um, and I, even here, I like, I live in the New York now. So I like, don't, I don't drive ever, but like part of my job at one point will require me to maybe drive. And to the point where I like, and I have a license, so I have been ordained the right to, I guess, drive. <laughs> but, like, I would not feel super comfortable driving any of you with complete assurance. So I just think I'm not sure if it's, like, a, a generational divide or if it's, like, a more city divide. I have friends who are also from Chicago who can, like, drive perfectly for, I think. But I think a lot of people, especially as, like, you know, like, Ubers and Lyfts and all the other goods, and even, like, scooters and, like, bikes, you know, become more commonplace and more shareable. It's, like, you know, rather take that versus a car. I will say, though, if you're out, if you're listening to this and you or me get a license, change your life because <laughs> it will haunt you and you have to pay money to be on the highway. And it's really embarrassing. So, yeah. I, I get the reticence, but you know you can drive. And the fact that you don't have to is great. And frankly, it's better for the environment at this point not to be having everybody in one, you know, a one person, one car, one person, one car. You're in L.A., right, Steve? I'm in L.A. and you have no choice. You have no I mean, choice. I mean, they have a special lane for someone who takes a friend. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, and the thing about L.A. and, and how Chicago, I think, and New York are a little bit different is that Chicago and New York, especially New York and Gloria, you can figure this out. Obviously, it's a small island, right, with five boroughs and you can get around. At least there's a subway system that gets you to where you need to go. Um, sometimes most of the time it's convenient. Um, a lot of walking in L.A. It's so spread out. You can't go anywhere. I mean, look, there is mass transit. There's a metro. There's heavy rail. There's light rail. 
but it's still very difficult if you're, especially if you don't have a whole lot of money, which you need to live in LA. It's, it's, it's just, you know, you have to have a car. I feel like in the Bay area, especially it's not only is it more expensive to spend to like live and do things to eat, to go anywhere, to enjoy entertainment, whatever. But like also having a car here is proving to be more and more expensive. The insurance is expensive. Um, during the storms last week, like I hit one of the famous Oakland potholes that was like the size of a crater and I had to have my tire replaced the next morning. And out here getting your car bipped is like getting your car broken into and it's just, it's really rampant here. So I'm sure people who replace windows out here are making a ton of money. You <laughs> catalytic know, converters. Catalytic con- converter theft. For some reason, people are like here. buying cages to put over their catalytic converters now because yeah. people are like, well, it just stops people. Yeah, it stops people from stealing them so quickly. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. But things are just costing like a lot of money. <laughs> We keep talking about eggs, but I'm not exactly sure who's eating all these damn eggs. (laughs) I have to admit that's me. They're the only thing I can cook. While writing the news, I have seen tons of headlines over the past year about inflation. Recently, it's been eggs, but it's also been gas and lettuce and insurance. And then there's news about the pandemic rock job market and the stock market. All the information can be kind of blinding. And wages is a whole other topic yes. um, that is, has, you know, they've been stagnant since the seventies, has not kept up with the rate of inflation. I mean, there are just a million re- things to complain about with wages. Challenging economic conditions like that wage stagnation, the debt-free guys just mentioned, have impacted members of every generation we had on our panel. There are a lot of people who don't have assets that have grown over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Actually, John and I, before this interview, looked at a chart of the way in which wealth distributes across the generations. And every generation will go through a cycle of their overall generation increasing more, their wealth increasing more and more and more as time goes on. And we know why that's the case. That's compounding interest, right? And so if you're a millennial or you're a Gen Z um, individual who doesn't have a whole lot of assets, who doesn't have a home that's experienced three, five, seven percent increase in value year over year. If you don't have assets like uh, a retirement portfolio or investments yourself, then your net worth hasn't been increasing while other people's has. But when you don't see your net worth going up by the dollar amounts that other people is going up, it can feel like you're being left behind. And as long as you are able to contribute to your retirement and to building up some sort of asset like a home or something like that, you will eventually feel it. As a millennial, I know a lot of friends in my age group that aren't even at the point where they can think about saving for retirement. And I actually related a lot to what our Gen Z panelist Gloria explained here about the way expenses can just start to build up. I feel like as as time goes on, um, I'm hoping, I, I feel like I'm trying to lean more into in-person shopping because I just feel like I, I, I pretty much 99% of the time shop online and that also does include groceries sometimes just because i just think that like there is a lot of especially just i think the downside of living in a place like this big city is that you know 
like the ability to kind of go to the store with a car and like not back to cars but they're able to start with the car and like fill your trunk with groceries is like lost versus like having to like take a train to like trader joe's and like put it in like a cart that's gonna like destroy itself on the way home um so i definitely end up shopping a lot more online though it's interesting too because i feel like a lot of my generation despite our record like credit card debt is like we're not at least for me like i'm not a huge consumer of things i i feel like a lot of my money like i look around my space and a lot of the money that does in fact leave my bank account is not going towards like Shein or other sort of like one stop whatever i think i'm not really sure it goes um i think mostly towards rent but um yeah so i i feel like in general i'm not shopping a ton online but if i am if I do have to shop, it tends to be online or in person, possibly for like the, like the thrift stores or like vintage, etc. John and David said there are just a few simple things to keep in mind in order to stay on track when it comes to spending. Uh, Capital One did a study just after the pandemic that I, I'm not going to remember the statistics and I can get that to you, but uh, an, a, a, an egregious amount of people said that they were spending money to impress their friends or family. It wasn't necessarily to provide themselves enjoyment. It was just to getting validation from someone else. So how far is that actually, how much happiness is that actually providing you where maybe you buy that bag to impress your friends? Would you get more enjoyment out of actually going to the coffee shop and having two or three lattes instead? You know? So I think it's, it's get, getting it, clear on what would make you happy. And so many of us struggle with that because media is constantly telling us, Instagram's telling us, this is what's going to make you happy. Which is why even things that are fun things or what we would perceive self-care or whatever, sometimes do bring us guilt because we have a place to live. We have food, we have, you know, some, we have the basics and, and I don't know about you guys, but conspicuous consumption has just really creeped me out the last couple of years with people. I'm like, Mm. seriously, Seriously, you really want to do that? And and just kind of that arrogance that comes with that feeling of I have friend, I have a few friends who are one percenters, and some of them just don't have um any conscience about that. The final money-related thing I asked our panel was about getting people gifts. Gifts that matter. In terms of gift giving, I I really just wish everyone would just collectively be like giving money to each other is okay. Like I'm, I'm not really into receiving gifts. I just feel like I'm anti-clitter. I don't think my space is big enough for that. In terms of the friendship totem pole, like the higher you up on, on the totem pole for me, you are. It tends to be like an agreement, like with one of my really good friends, Jared, shout out to you. And like, we don't give each other gifts at all because it just tends to be like the money that's spent between us just tends to be like food or like experiences kind of, but mostly just like food or like an Uber ride. I'm paying for this, you're paying for that. So just like having to give someone a gift, I feel like it's like less of an emphasis for me, though I did give gifts for Christmas and whatnot. So my family took things interesting. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I'm less and less into gifts. I do think that I'm more into like e-gift cards for people um and for people of a certain age just like a bottle of wine to say like i i did go out of my way to think about you in some respects but yeah i think the older i get the more i think about you know when i was growing up we didn't have a whole lot of money mom and dad you know uh, we had restaurants i'm greek which you know you're born in a deep fryer 
when you're green. <laughs> and so for me, it's like, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes a business failed and, and sometimes it was good. So there were good times, bad times. But the one thing, and my father passed away 10 years ago, it'll be 11 years coming Sorry. up in March. Yeah. I mean, we all, and we all know that pain, you know, and, and my mom is getting up there in age. And I think about like, you know, she was able to give me the things that I really needed when I was a kid, um, even though they worked hard and they didn't have a whole lot. And it's like, now I'm doing okay here in LA, knock wood. <laughs> and I just, you know, I just want to help them. All the I'm, dogs. I, yeah, exactly. Sorry. They all started barking. And I, I just, I just want to, you know, I want to give back. And so for me living in LA, my mom lives in Alabama and, uh, you know, I'll go home for Christmas or the holidays and I'll just send things over there. You know, I'll send her like candy from Crate and Barrel or, I'll, you know, if I, and even if it's like expensive, stupid candy, it's like, you know, whatever. I just want her to know that I'm thinking about her. So I'll buy some things, have it sent there. And then when I fly home, I just take it and wrap it and all that stuff. So. That, that's sweet. That sense of uh, that sense of giving back is really important to me. Getting stuff at this time in my life. I mean, my boyfriend and I give each other little tchotchkes that we find, but we especially like I don't know why we always give each other a nature gift, something Aww. we found outside that that's is like so really sweet. cool looking. Well, LA, yeah. yeah, L.A. has a lot of creepy, weird shit like that, I think. <laughs> and then in Chicago, we have these sycamore trees that have these little balls on them. They almost look like that Horton Healers of the Who kind of seed pod and if you smush them they're the greatest things on the planet i'm not joking like we i take that we call them smushies every day i've i've gathered so many smushies i've gathered smushies when i teach at university of chicago there's three smushy trees on my street there i found one at mcfetridge ice skating rink that i just keep like getting them off the ground and putting them in a box for him. And every day he'll send me a picture of him smushing three of them. I don't know. It's I'm really, maybe I'm very stupid, but I don't, but I like, I like rocks and pine cones as much as I like diamonds. I really do. We used to paint pine cones, by the way, with nail polish. And my mom, she collects heart-shaped rocks when we're out on walks and stuff. So if I find one, I take it home and she'll put it in her sink, you know, we're like right next to the, 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 in the bathroom or something like that. Um, things, but yeah, yeah, things you make, things you find, things you oh, propagate. Mm-hmm. I'll like propagate my daughter's money plant and give them yeah. as gifts to friends. And when Gloria was just talking about going to thrift stores, I kept thinking, oh, I should go and get some little pots because it's always pots are cheap at a thrift store. Yeah, I think like functional gifts are uh, yes. really important. Like for Christmas, my partner just got me a big old uh, compost tumbler because we've been gardening together. So now I get my own like... I have my own tumbler and I'm going to have my own worms and I can feed them my like, you know, my paper and my my old scraps and stuff like that. So I'm really excited about that, like functional gifts. Um, this is something that you're going to use for a while and it's going to mm-hmm. be a part of your life. And I think also throughout time, you know, shopping small, especially during the pandemic. Right. There were so mm-hmm. many not to bring up the pandemic again, but like there were so many PSAs and things telling us shop, shop, small businesses, like help small businesses out. And so I, I do think that message really hit home for people. I think the pandemic also just introduced a lot of, and this isn't like a new concept, but like things like mutual aid and just Mm -hmm. kind of like very direct forms of giving that I think were popularized before COVID-19 happened, but like are now sort of in our lexicon. Perfect. 
um, because like he's giving people like ten dollars for no reason. Yeah, he will need it. People Listen, need we're, we're out here. Mm-hmm. We're all we're out here. Yeah, exactly. I go yeah. fund me for people's shit all the time. Like, I go, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I realize, oh my god, this person's asking for help with their funeral. You right. know what I mean? Like, I'm like, how can you not support this? Or even it, just it, to, mm. to have rent for the rest of the month. Mm. You know, you have a lot of exploited and marginalized groups. I myself see a lot of trans folks who are having a hard time getting a job because of discrimination or having a hard time, like, connecting with family and don't have that resource. And so you see a lot of these, you know, folks, you know, asking for mutual aid because they know that community over anything is probably going to help them out the most right now. Regardless of our ages, we all know about the financial terrors of the Great Recession and the pandemic. Still, each of our generations has its own specific challenges and advantages. For example, members of Gen Z are more racially and ethnically diverse and more educated than any previous generation, according to the Pew Research Center. John and I believe that 80% of money is transactional and the same for everyone, but the 20% that is very different is based on who we are, our gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, color of our skin, where we were raised, our socioeconomic economic, uh, status. All of that plays a big role in the money story that we create as we grow up, and that can have a really, really big impact on how we transact with money. Gen Z also stands out for identifying more with the LGBTQ plus community than other generations. According to Gallup, one in five Gen Z adults identifies as LGBTQ. And what we typically find is that 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ. Uh, We find that kids typically leave their home to go to school and move as far away from their family or unwelcoming place that they can. So they're spending more money on education. They're taking on more student loan debt. Data shows, yes, LGBTQ students are graduating on average with 16% more student loan debt than their peers. And, and, and it's very brave to reach out. It's so brave. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I feel like, that's your strength, not your weakness. And I appreciate it. Look, it's one thing. I don't want to fund someone's web series. And I don't know if I want to pay for your braces, <laughs> but I do. But I do want to pay for your rent. I mean, the, it's mm, true. Yeah. It's worth it to me. So, so I remember I did a gig out of town uh, last year and I turned to a friend of mine. And I said, I think that gig paid for like all the GoFundMes this year. Do you know what I mean? Like I literally thought yeah. to myself, you need to start recognizing how much these things cost and then, you know, appropriate, appropriate also my, my work ethic into that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do some gigs to support someone literally. So uh, I think people see this, like there's this like frustrating trope of like a boomer, not understanding the economic context that millennials have grown up in and trying to give financial advice to someone younger and it not landing at all. Um, Is that something that you see is true? Does that really happen? Or is that kind of a myth about generations not understanding each other? 
Well, that's a good, that's a fun question. Um, in our personal lives, I don't think that we have experienced that. Uh, all of our nieces and David's stepson are millennials and Gen Z. And Gen Z. We're Gen Xers. And of course, obviously our, our parents and aunts and uncles are all boomers. And I think in our real life, we don't necessarily experience that. But I, I see it on TV and I see it on social media. So I don't know. I mean, it makes maybe it makes great, great headlines, but I don't think like it's actually true. <laughs> Thanks for listening to It's Generational. We'd also like to thank our panel guests, Susan Messing, Steve Chiatakis, Mallory Samara, and Gloria Oladipo for joining us, as well as our experts, David and John, the debt-free guys. Our theme music is by Zaptra. Check out our other episodes featuring this panel covering family and climate change. This episode was produced by Sydney Fishman, Mallory Samara, and me, Lauren Berry. Myron Kaplan is Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.